Well, our first writing, reading comes from the book of Genesis. It's uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. If you can turn with me once more to the wonderful book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. I'll be following along from our reading before. So that's Genesis chapter 12 and verse 4. I'm going to read down through to verse 9. So that's Genesis chapter 12 and verse 4. Let's hear from God's word. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Well, friends, as we take a closer look at God's word, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, again we... um, We echo those words that we just sung, that that you'd speak to us truly and really uh, through your spirit. Father, because we need your spirit to understand your word and not just to understand it, for it to be powerful to change our lives. And so, Father, we commit this special time to you, looking to you as we open your wonderful word together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Friends, all the way back in February, we started on a journey. And the beginning of this journey was at the very beginning. A beginning that saw God create all there is in six days simply by speaking. And as you see, God steadily build on his creation through each successive day. As you watch this divine building project take shape, The obvious question raised is, why is God creating this spectacular place? What does he have in mind? Who is it for? And all those questions are then answered on day six. All is revealed with these words. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air 
over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And with that we see the God of the heavens has created this physical realm to be inhabited and enjoyed by hard copy image bearers of himself. This creation was to be a whole new way, a spectacular way of the God of God and Lord of Lords to demonstrate his power and glory. But not just demonstrate it, share it intimately with us as we relate to him. But as we saw, not all in the heavenly realms responded with a hearty amen to this project. Not all were nodding in agreement when God breathed his spirit into man and said, very good. And so at a certain tree, one that established the boundaries between creature and creator, a suggestion was made. An enticing whisper to break free from these boundaries. Because take it from me, the snake said, they really are a prison. And so Adam and Eve broke free. Their eyes were opened. But all they saw was everything begin to break around them. Love and intimacy with their creator replaced with guilt and shame. The beautiful garden replaced with thorns and thistles. Life and harmony replaced with death and chaos. Wherever Adam and Eve looked, the creation both outside and in was now broken and fallen. But this horrible distortion will not be the case forever, promises God. The devil and his word will not have the final word. For his head will be crushed by one who will come from these two that were tempted by him. And so Satan is given notice. And so Satan's counteroffensive begins. He enters Cain, who then kills his faithful brother Abel. In Genesis 6, his angels mix with the daughters of men, producing such mayhem God sends the flood. And then with the waters barely dry, rebellion rises once more at Babel. All of this in more and more is not just our sin playing out, but Satan working in sinful hearts to destroy the seed before the seed rises up to destroy him. As Paul reminds the Ephesians thousands of years later, our battle is not just against flesh and blood, but against rulers, principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. And the leader of this unholy pack is that ancient snake. And so, as we saw last week, he is closing in once more. Indeed, the serpent has a vice-like grip around the promised line and is slowly squeezing tighter. Terah, the great-grandson of Shem, has abandoned the faith for idols. His first son, Haran, tragically dies. His second son, Nahor, abandons him. 
and his final son, Abram, cannot produce an heir. That's the scene as terror breathes his last. And so as Abram buries his father, it would seem he is also putting a headstone on God's promise. After all the noise and battle of the preceding chapters, it's all going to end in a sad whimper right here as the line of the promise is finally choked out by the snake. Friends, while from our perspective this is all that we can see, a great truth is about to be revealed. And that truth is where our power and strength and capabilities finish, that end point is where God's power and strength kick in. And so we go from one of the saddest, most forgettable stories in the Bible to the start of the most memorable. Verse 1 of chapter 12, have another look at it. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, friends, if you've been coming to to UPC for a while, these verses are pretty familiar as we've regularly gone through them throughout the years thanks to their significance. And now we have the context, the backdrop in which they're spoken, their significance is even more pronounced, isn't it? For God's promise to reverse sin's curse is hanging by a thread. The Satan-crushing line is on its last legs and its final weak breath before it comes is replaced by the kiss of life. The divine rescue, unmistakable, thanks to that beautiful word starting with B that God uses over and over and over again in this exchange. But friends, it's not just its repetition that shows that holy help has arrived, but the fact that this word blessing has virtually dropped off the map since Adam and Eve were in the garden. The curse, living under the curse, has been the human experience since we left that beautiful place. But now, right here and right now, that is all going to change, starting with Abram. What, the same Abram born to that pagan, idol-worshipping, lost soul called Terah? That's right, the very same. Okay, this is going to be interesting. And it sure is, isn't it? Let's now break these verses down and have a little bit of a closer look at them. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I have a place marked out for you, says God to Abram. 
And as you'll soon find out, it's not Ur of the Chaldeans and it's not Haran either. No, it's this place known as Canaan. But you'll notice, although that's what people call it, God doesn't call it Canaan here, does he? And there's a good reason for that. Canaan was designated slave to Shem. Chapter 9, verse 26. And as we all know, slaves don't own land. So no surprises that God doesn't call it Canaan because the true title belongs in your hands, Abram. But as God hands the title deeds over to him, you can almost hear his next thought, can't you? But why? Sarah, myself and my little nephew Lot won't be taking on Canaan's army anytime soon, won't be booting them out. And, and what would be the point anyway? My wife and I will soon be gone and there's no one after us but a full stop. Not so, Abram, verse 2, have a look. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Friends, I mentioned before the great contrast between chapter 11 and 12, man's weakness and God's strength. And the very first person to be informed of this is Abram right here in verse 2. Despite man's fallen will, despite Satan's treacherous will, all of that plus the total impossibility of your physical situation, Nevertheless, my will will be done, Abram. A nation from you is on the way. Now, friends, making a promise like that come to fruition is enough to prove the weakness to strength point, isn't it? But God isn't finished yet, not even close. Middle of verse 2, have a look. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now, considering this is all about God working his purposes out through weak little Abraham, considering it'll be God who's going to make the impossible possible for him, you'd expect, wouldn't you, that the next line would read, I, the Lord, will make my name great. But no, God promises that for Abram instead, doesn't he? You will be remembered, your name and your fame will be known. And that is certainly true, isn't it? Abraham would have to be in the top ten most well-known people to ever walk the earth. But what for? What is he known for? Because that's the key, isn't it? So let's think about human fame for a moment. I'm showing my age here a little bit. When you think, say, John Farnham, you immediately think, yep, famous for singing. If I say Nicole Kidman, that's acting. So let's do that now for Abram. What immediately jumps to mind about him when you think of him? Well, nothing in the talent department, that's for sure. But something does immediately register, and that something is faith, isn't it? 
Abraham is the personification of faith. That's why the writer to the Hebrews in his great chapter on faith spends almost half of it writing about him. Here's a snippet from chapter 11 and verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham, though, reasoned that God could raise the dead. Friends, thanks to this example amongst a bunch of others, Abraham sits on the top shelf in the Hebrew writer's hall of fame. His fame is so different to all other famous people, isn't he? Because Abram's life of faith spotlights how a nobody, how anybody truly becomes a somebody, truly finds significance, meaning, joy, love that unlike human fame never ever fades. And friends, because Abram's life is going to reveal this key truth about life, people's response to him is going to matter. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And friends, you can take or leave a famous singer. You can take or leave a famous actor. But you can't take or leave Abram. For this man is a fork in your life's road. You will either follow his lead, trust God at his word, and so be on the path of blessing, or reject his lead. Do it your way. But this path, as we saw way back in the garden, is cursed. And friends, if you think all of this raises the significance of this man, Look at what God now finishes off with. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now I never thought I'd say this, but one of, if not the best translations of this final promise is found in the Good News Bible, which reads, And through you, Abraham, I will bless the nations. In other words... The promises God gives here are not just for Abram and not just for the miraculous nation that will come from him, but all nations. The poison from the snake that affected all will find its cure-all starting with you. And with that, The global, reverse the curse, Satan-crushing promise given to little, weak, old Abraham, full silent. And as it does, you've got to wonder, don't you, what was was his next moment like? Does he check the use-by date on the food that he's just eaten? Does he, you know, look out to that dangerous land occupied by the Canaanites and shake his head? Does he say, as his father said, this far but no further? Let's have a look. Start at verse 4. So Abram left 
as the Lord had told him. So no head scratching, no thinking time. In fact, it would seem no break in time. Abram simply hears, believes and acts. That's faith. But true faith, as we saw from his father, isn't marked by the first step, but the last. So let's keep going. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Well done, Abram, you made it. So what now? Well, what do you do when you acquire a new place? You take a look around, don't you? And so verse 6. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Friends, what a strange sight Abram's little moving tent brigade must have been so innocuous, so unthreatening that the Canaanites don't even bother with them. Eyebrows not even raised when he builds a place of worship to give thanks and show that this place wasn't theirs but his. Whatever you reckon, mate. And so he continues his tour unhindered. Verse 8, have a look. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. And that, friends, is as far south as Abram's tour goes. From Shechem to the Negev, it's all his. But at the very same time, it's not his, is it? This place is occupied. Towns and cities scattered throughout. And it has altars, much bigger and more impressive, that are already there. Places of worship that scream to Abraham, you're a little slow off the mark, old man. Just a little late. Friends, this land promised to Abraham is already spoken for in every way imaginable. And it's this tension between the promise and the reality on the ground. The gaping chasm between the vision, verses 1 to 3, and what Abram actually saw, verses 4 to 9, this ginormous gap is where we finish our series in Genesis. And friends, believe it or not, this tension is actually a good spot to end on. Because despite the fact so much has happened between Genesis 12 to now, a time frame that allows us to see God's promises get fulfilled one after the other. Nation, tick. Land, tick. Blessing to all peoples through a Satan crusher, tick. Although this is the blessed ground we now stand on, 
There is something very much the same about the ancient ground Abram walked on. Something so relatable despite the passage of time. And friends, that is, we, just like him, are also aliens and sojourners, aren't we? And we know that exact same now but not yet tension as he did. And as we travel, we also hold on to a, a divine promise concerning the future, don't we? A promise that that Satan crusher gave to us and goes like this. I will return. And on that day, Jesus tells us that divine blessing will leave, leave all those given to Abram in the shade. That he is making all things new. The entire earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Brothers and sisters, this is the greatest of all promises. A promise that has been given to us by the very same promise-keeping God who spoke to Abraham. And so we are called to walk precisely as he walked, by faith and not by sight. Fixing our eyes on the ultimate, eternal promised land and away from what we see and hear down here. Friends, with that in mind, I can't think of a better way to finish than these words from God's word to encourage and inspire us as we journey through. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. These people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. For these people were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. A city for them city for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we just want to thank you for your precious and wonderful word contained within precious and wonderful promises. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of, of being able to look back and see the truth of your promises come true. Father, we, we stand on privileged ground compared to Abram as we now see and recognise 
he was miraculously given a nation, miraculously given a land. And through that line that you preserved, the wondrous, miraculous coming of the Lord Jesus, who then, through his death and resurrection, has shed abroad the blessing that we've received and stand in today. Heavenly Father, we can struggle to lift our eyes from what we see around us. But we thank you for that one great and final promise to come. One of a new heavens and a new earth where there'll be no tears or mourning or crying or pain. Father, we thank you for the, for the certainty of that promise. And so, Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit, help us to keep our eyes lifted and fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and away from uh, the word and the lies of this world. Keep us to the very end, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' precious name.